Hi, and welcome to Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today is a special treat. I've got two guests. Two of my uh, old Garmologist buddies are here. First up, Sean. Hi, Nick. Um, Sean from Glasgow. Um, age unknown. Um, I pop up every Christmas. And John? And again, filling Santa's stockings. I'm John from the Brighton area. Uh, hello. So, guys, it's been about a year since last time we did the festive recording. Mm-hmm. Have you bought anything nice since then? Um, I'll let John go first on this one, I think. Oh, I've had a terrible spendy year. I must admit, I've, I've gone nuts. I, I Like yourself, Nick, I, I took a bit of a leaf out of the uh, John Skelton book. So the John Skelton suit, that was a, uh, a big purchase cash-wise and also pretty awesome. Um, I'm currently wearing my new uh, Ironheart jeans, so that was another big-ticket item. And finally, the thing I'm waiting for, which is, was a birthday present to myself, but it's been a six-month process in the making, was my um, Hawkmoth leather belt. So yeah, I've had a, I've had a good year. And obviously, all the other bits and pieces I pick up throughout the year. So there's been a number of wax jackets and, and bits and pieces... We'll get to the analysis afterwards, mm-hmm. Sean. Um, a few pairs of shoes, a few coats. Um, apart from that, not not a huge amount. I, I sort of made a conscious decision this year not to buy too much because I, I was running out of space, and um, I had a sort of fairly big clear out in the summer to um, the charity shops when they reopened. So I sent quite a lot of items there because. I, I was fed up trying to list things on eBay and them not selling and, and just, it's the, you know, you have to find somewhere to put them whilst you're listing them and so on and so forth. So I decided just to to, to cut loose, get rid of them. Um, I bought, now, ooh, big things this year. I got a pair of uh, Sanders um, chucker boots. I think they're sometimes called Playboys, but I don't think that's the official name. I'd had the shoe version of them and found them really, really comfortable. Um, so I managed to buy a pair of the uh, chucker boots, um, which are fantastic. But again, this time of year, I'm not wearing them too much. Um, I bought a Macintosh, um, sort of, I suppose, like a motorcycle style jacket, you know, sort of a bell staff barber style sort of jacket with it with the four pockets but the macintosh version of it which i'd not seen before um in a kind of beige color which is was excellent um, i'm really happy with that so those two things alone that was only a hundred pound for those two um and let me think as i as i quickly scroll through oh i've got a pair of trickers um is it velt shown shoes velt shown you know the, the waterproof showing, uh, yeah, yeah which I, I, I bought a pair before that I think I eventually sent to you, didn't I? Uh, Shaney ones, Cheney, Crockett and Jones. Well done. And you were going to get them refurbished and then they wouldn't do it. So it, I've got a similar similar pair of trickers um, for about 20-odd pounds that are needing resold, um, which I haven't got around to doing yet. So I would say they were the sort of three main purchases Apart from just last week, I bought a sort of Montclair puffer jacket thing, like a long line, um, that has been excellent on these winter mornings. Nice and cosy, um, nice and warm. Um, kind of not the sort of thing I would I would normally buy, but um, 
really nice, quite happy with it. Um, but apart from that, not not a huge amount. Not I've been kind of trying to keep it to a minimum. What about yourself? You know, when I'm put to it like that, I can't really remember. But I don't think there has been much. I've been really focusing on just buying a few things that I really liked instead of the compulsive buying stuff just mm-hmm. for the sake of it. And it's weird because all I've heard this past year is people are buying loads and loads of stuff. They're not going on holidays. They're not doing spending on big stuff, but people are shopping like mad. But clearly, based on the three of us, which is a statistically viable sample, we're not. Maybe that's because we buy <laughs> when maybe when people aren't buying that we're buying, you know. Uh, <laughs> so like, you know, uh, we're kind of, I know we buy it, we all buy in different ways, but maybe we're buying whilst other people are uh, are not buying. We're just waiting for them to start selling all the stuff they've bought now, so we can pick it up cheap. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. a good theory. Yeah, it is. Well, I think <laughs> since the charity shops reopened, there has been a a good resurgence of fairly good quality stuff. So my barber collection has grown <clears throat> quite a lot over the last six months just yeah. through picking up old barbers in charity shops that is a that is a very good point because everything was closed here as well and uh, i suppose all the good stuff has been going to eastern europe in the meantime but uh there's been there's been I, my wife actually started working for a uh, company that buy from ragging factories in eastern europe and italy and sell it, resell it in this country. So they have exploded with the amount of stuff they're getting. So it was stuff that would have gone to this country, but the charities have sold it to two ragging factories in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe and Italy, who have now sold it back to England. So it's been a slightly weird mm-hmm. transit of some of those goods. And where are they sourcing that from, John? So where are, is it just like excess charity shop stock? Is it? Oh, I think I think the ragging factories buy from absolutely everywhere. There's lots of end of line stuff from right, okay. fashion retailers and high street retailers over there yeah. as well. But there is stuff that has obviously come from charity shops that has gone into the ragging factory to be recycled and now has been picked by raggers and is coming mm-hmm. back onto the market because it's actually really good quality stuff that wasn't ready mm-hmm. for recycling. Mm-hmm. I know that about 80% of the stuff collected for charity in Norway, 80 or 90%, is just packed directly off to Eastern Europe. And going by eBay uh, ads from, say, Lithuania, you can tell that there's a lot of stuff that wasn't sold there originally. Mm-hmm. which is then being listed. So there's some savvy pickers over there. Mm-hmm. And clearly, as John points out, then it's also being shipped back to the UK, which I applaud. Yeah, yeah. It's, getting, sold, doing, it's it? getting used, you know, which is great. I have noticed that there's, there's a few, Lithuania seems to be the big one now, that there are a few um, obviously quite big concerns that are selling stuff fairly aggressively cheap prices as well um, and as soon as you put it in a watch list um, bank they're, they're offering you 20% off like just like that um, and I've, I've noticed a lot more of that recently the quality control on it isn't maybe brilliant but the descriptions are pretty good so they're obviously taking their time to to measure things and but you know but you know you're buying from a sort of fairly reputable company that'll have a 20 30 40 thousand feedback um there was one last year that was russian federation that seemed to have got lots and lots of vintage ski wear like you know bergens um decent quality old stuff that was was really nice um that it was open for about three months and then it disappeared again um, and it's never reappeared so they obviously got a certain amount of stock 
and it was all like smocks, you know, things that would sell here. Um, and, and, and it just disappeared. But as soon as I got a, um, I know it's not a ski brand, but like a, a YMC smock for like 25 quid um, from them. And it was like next to new condition, you know, um, that they had lots and lots of stuff that they were selling off cheap. So these, if you keep an eye on eBay quite a lot, you'll see that these, these um these sellers are appearing and disappearing um and some of them must as you say must must have huge amounts of stock that they're getting from somewhere there's a good there's a good um british sort of charitable shop uh called thrift that sell on ebay and they mm-hmm. get a lot of stuff <clears throat> and they're listing for charities so you can donate to them your clothes they take a percentage to all go right to okay on ebay and they have a huge array of stuff and it's usually very high quality i've got a couple of bits from them yeah um, They've been really good in the similar sort of way. If you watch it within a couple of days, bang, they're offering. Yeah. Off. Yeah. So I've got some uh, SHA Kelly, uh, some Van Kloss stuff uh-huh. as well at, you know, a tenth of the price you'd expect to pay it for it brand new. Yeah. So, Excellent. And it's going to charity as well, and it's recycling goods. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. For everybody concerned. So uh, I was, and it, and it, it's ending up with somebody that. You know, I'll appreciate it and keep it, and it's not yep. ending up in a in a landfill, and it's not ending up. You know, um, oh, that's excellent. That's good. It's clear to see then that a lot of the brands and stuff that would have ended up on the sort of specialty retail sites mm-hmm. is now being donated to charity, mm-hmm. or just donated, which is kind of interesting. That would mm-hmm. imply that, um, I mean, given that stuff like Seh Kelly is kind of collectible, yeah, mm-hmm. so people actually slashing their collections mm-hmm. but it's it's there's obviously been I don't, the lockdown effect or something but something has made quite unique pieces from kind of collectible sha kelly style old town people like that with the well-made british stuff has gone into people's collections that are obviously you know lockdown got a lot of time in the hands or things are moving on so it has it yeah it's changed as a buyer there's been some really interesting stuff out and about that you wouldn't have seen normally for a lot mm-hmm. less money than it was a year or two ago or else they've been buying so much new shit online that they have to get rid of some of the old stuff. <laughs> They've been instructed. <laughs> that's, that's, I've, I've got suits because I've changed career and lockdown has had a big thing. Yeah. So I wear a suit every day. So I've now got 20 suits that I have hung up on a rack that are all yeah. going to go away when I get around to listing them. Yeah. So keep your eyes peeled. There's some nice huntsman suits coming yeah. out. Ooh, tweeds and stuff I've got to work it out. Cause... I think things like that, though, John, like, You'll, you'll always find a market for it because they're not, you know, the, the other thing with um, sort of buying and selling stuff online is stuff that will maybe fall out of fashion. So whether it's a lapel size, a shoulder size, you know, um, the cut of, of something. But if, it, if it's older style like that, it'll it'll stay out with the, the remit of fashion. So, you know, like charity shops used to be sort of known for selling stuff from the 80s or 90s that you would just never wear you know um but so that kind of narrows the the market down a little bit as well but for things like what you're saying you're selling um you'll always find a buyer for that kind of thing it's 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 without out with the vagrancies of of fashion whereas charity shops themselves previously um wouldn't care they would just bang everything out and and you would whereas now they're they're going a little bit you know, they're getting smarter with it. You know, they do. They have um, a vin- most of them have a vintage rail now. Which, yeah, yeah. What they class as vintage may not necessarily be it. But I've I've been in charity shops over the last few months, and there's a lot of younger people in there 
buying stuff that I wouldn't touch, which was from the 70s, mm-hmm. sorry, from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. So band t-shirts from the 80s and 90s seem to have a huge market and there are people desperately scrambling mm-hmm. around for them and paying fairly large sums of money for band t-shirts I wore as a teenager that I would have binned. So, um, yeah, the, 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 I think the market for that sort of thing has moved quite dramatically with yeah. the change and, you know, all the decent stuff from the 1940s and 50s has found homes with collectors like me. Yeah. So. Yeah, and younger people are getting vintage stuff, and it's it's different. Yeah, uh, it's sort of lo- it's it's long gone, but um, I I took delivery actually. I, I didn't mention it today of a uh, a Harris Tweed um, jacket from Marks and Spencers that was um, I got it next to nothing, you know, and it was like Harris Tweed, a nice check on it. It was like a kind of quite a big um, gun sort of style check. Um, that had a quilted lining, which I'd never seen before. So it's like, I think we talked about this briefly, but it was like a, you know, Harris Street jacket, nice material, quilted lining. I thought, this is the sort of thing I'll wear all the time. There's two things wrong with it. There's no vents at the back, which means it, it kind of, I could live with that, but the shoulders are enormous. I mean, they are like, I, I've kind of looked and thought, if I, if I take the pads out, which I've done before on, it'll still sit. I mean, like, I'll show you later, but it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like honestly, it's um, it reminds me of you know, stop making sense, talking heads. You know, when he comes out with a suit on, it's that bad. I have never. It, it's definitely nineteen eighties because generally that was the time when they didn't put the flaps on the back. But it, it's oh, it's a, just a power power jacket. Oh, it's beyond that. I mean, it's it. Um, it was a forty two, which is slightly bigger than I'd normally take, but I thought I'll take a chance with it because. Um, I quite like the idea of it, but it's just, oh, it's just. Anyway, John, if you want it, you can have it. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like 42 chest, really big shoulders. Sounds like it's going to fit me quite well. It's a short length, unfortunately. Oh, so, no, so it would be like uh, a boy band suit or something on you. So <laughs> maybe not. Well, you were saying the thing that you spun me on because I got from one of these East European second life sort of uh, designer brands, I got the Lola Perina um, jacket that's a yeah. padded this in a similar sort of cut. Yeah. But been well over the fifteen hundred pound mark. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sixty quid. So I got I got a Zenga one that a Zegna Zenga one that was a hundred percent cashmere that was the same, not lined. It was just like a grey, but it had these huge shoulder pads. But when I took the pads out of that, it actually it sat fine. It, it's it's okay. But yeah, I mean that would have been like yeah, sort of crazy money, wouldn't it? It's uh, a lot of piano. Um, hmm. I was just thinking when you mentioned uh, the Huntsman Savile Row type suits, John, um, that a lot of those, I mean, they'd have been insanely expensive new, but now they're sort of, well, decades probably out of fashion, still as well made, and someone buying them would be unlikely to sort of really fit into a bespoke suit. But I can just see myself, and probably others can, wanting one, just for the chance of owning a Huntsman Savile Row suit, regardless of whether it actually fit or not, but all look good. <laughs> oh, the thing is, I, I bought them as bespoke suits for other people when I bought them, and I've had them retailed to me. So I've had waists taken in, shoulders taken in, jackets mm-hmm. nipped. And, you know, I've probably spent almost as much as it would be having a cheaper suit made, having these retailed to me at different points. Mm-hmm. But they are amazing. They, I, You know, the build quality of all the suits I've gotten, this Huntsman, Henry Paul, Dijon Skinner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take any, you know, um, Tommy Nutter, take any of the sort of top Savile Row 
bespoke tailors of the last 50 years. I've probably got one of their suits that I've got secondhand that I've then had retailed. And they're still amazing suits. It's just I have very little call to wear suits these days, which I, I, I kind of am sad for. You know, so I've, would they I've, have been... Sorry, John. Would they have been bespoke at the time then? Yes. Yeah, no. They, they, yeah. I, I, you know, some of them obviously have been made for the hoi polloi of the day, so I can, yeah. you know, the labels in of who they're made for. I've done a bit of research on some of these people, and it's Sir uh, this, Lord this, yeah, the heir to who, whatever, and you kind of go, they were made for, you know, the gentry of the day, and I've had them retail it, and they've served me for 20 years, and they've mm-hmm. got years in them. It's just, I, I, I almost regret getting rid of them, but they are taking up so much room. Yeah. Expensive item that I can, you know, get cash for. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are lovely suits. It's just, you know, the amount of time I now, you know, I was every day in a three-piece tweed suit. I'm now in a two-piece suit, if I'm lucky, in a sports jacket and jeans most of the time for work. So it's it's been a, yeah, been a change of... Um... So, if you right, if you don't mind me asking about numbers then, so you're saying you bought them about sort of 20 years ago. Well, I've, I've, um, I've, been, I've been buying them for 20-odd years, so yeah. Right, okay. So how much sort of on average three-piece, say, Huntsman, whatever... How much would you be sort of paying for something like that secondhand? I've bought them anywhere between two and six hundred pounds. Okay, right. so, you know, not not huge sums, but not insignificant sums. And I've no, probably no. spent uh, probably a hundred pound, two hundred pound each time getting them retailed to my fit. But right. some of the suits new would be nine, ten thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. Right now and got them made. It's just I was reading an article, um, an old article by A. A. Gill, who is an article where he, he decided to get a suit made um, himself, and I, and I think it was Huntsman he went to, um, and it's something he'd always wanted, and he went for tweed, a three piece, because he knew he was only ever going to do it once, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you can dig that out, it's quite an interesting uh, article about how it made him feel and, and and the the choosing of the of the fabric and stuff. So that, that's quite interesting because you could, you know. Even going into say Marks and Spencer, but now and buying a two-piece or three-piece uh, suit and wool, the cheapest one would cost you about two hundred pounds, I would yep. imagine. So when you look at it like that, yeah, and, and you can get enough adaptations done, I suppose, that it would fit you, like you going for a bespoke suit. And I, I must admit, I, I have twice in my life gone for the full bespoke thing because it's something you always wanted to do. Mm. So about 15 years ago, when Dashing Tweed started, I got one made with Dashing Tweed. Cause, and the experience, it, it, it's something you'll never get. And that suit is going to last me my lifetime. It's going to fit forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it's just that everything is bespoke to you. You know, I, I went in with a, a roll of fabric that I'd bought from Dashing Tweeds to a very high-end bespoke tailor, who then spent a couple of months and about six fittings getting this suit made to my exact specification, which was probably slightly off what most people would wear anyway. Mm. As I say, I've got small waist, big shoulders, so that's always interesting. Because it's a bold pattern, I needed an action back. So when I moved, it didn't rock and face. You know, matching such a bold check was quite a thing. And then second to that, at the same time, more or less, I had a very plain blue navy wool herringbone suit made by the same tailor, just because I knew it was probably something I'd do once. I'd never do it again. And just yeah, the whole thing is it's it's kind of a magic coming of age experience. And I've talked to people <clears throat> a generation or two older than me. It's like when you leave school, your dad takes you to the local tailor and gets your suit made, and that is your suit for work forever, kind of thing. And it's that yeah, it, it's it's an experience. I think everybody, if they can, should try to mm-hmm. go through. 
you know, you're never going to, I've never owned anything that fits me as well. And, you know, I've had lots of other things made for me, particularly sort of climbing wear and, mm. and, and vintage, like my smocks and things. So good old uh, Lancashire Pike that was made specifically for me, you know, and having those things made for you, it fits so much better than anything else I own. It just exactly what I wanted to do. Having those tweaks made that are unique to you, you know, changing the cuff, having, yeah, just so you can, it, it lives with you. So, yeah. Mm. It's, and I could imagine, like, you know, quite often if I'm wearing a suit, which isn't a lot these days, and I've only got one that I bought off the shelf but got kind of tweaked and, and stuff. But I could imagine when you put it on, you're not constantly fiddling and, and you know, fiddling with the sleeves or fiddling the, the waists. I would imagine when you put it on, it's on and that's it. You're not worrying about it because you're not, yep. you're not sort of fiddling around. Because I quite like a good heavy fabric. It's like wearing a suit of armor. Put it on on bulletproof, and everything's yeah. held in the right place, and everything's the right thing. You don't have to worry about the. You know, I've got relatively short inside leg. Yeah. Often, often have things turned up, or they don't sit on the trousers properly. But having them cut in a cavalry cut, perfectly to my, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the so perfect fit. Yeah. There must be a certain art to doing it, though. In that, I mean, I've tried a few times ordering custom shirts online, and there's always that sort of danger that you're going to go totally overboard on the options so you can have any number of options and you're just ticking off everything and you end up with something that just awful just yeah. doesn't look that good i the thing with the, the plain blue suit the, the the tailor was trying to offer me all sorts of weird linings and rolled edges and mm. and i was like i i don't want bells and whistles i want this to be a suit i can wear every day for every occasion is the mm. you know mm. The plainest, but the best fitting you can do. Mm-hmm. And he found it quite odd that I didn't want, you know, a bright lining. It's like, no, no, mm-hmm. I want the most plain line you've got, just simple mm-hmm. cream, stripe sleeves, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want functioning cuffs because I roll my sleeves up in even when I'm wearing a suit jacket. Mm-hmm. That's a practical thing. It's not a, a, a vanity item. It's things like, I want a poacher's pocket in it because I've had suits in the past that have been country suits and I found a poacher's pocket is perfect for putting an iPad in for work. Mm-hmm. And having it tweaked just the right size to put an mm-hmm. iPad in. So I can walk around. I don't have to carry a briefcase. I can stick my iPad in my poacher's pocket mm-hmm. and wear a perfectly normal suit and look like I'm walking down the street without all my the same, having a large wallet. I carry a knife and a lighter with me most of the time, having pocket with a bit. You know, those extra tweaks that you don't really think about. Yeah. Make yeah. a huge difference when you have it actually put in place so everything mm-hmm. just functions. Would it be correct to assume that your two bespoke suits are kind of like Clark Kent and Superman? They are, though. They are very, very different. So I have a very plain three-piece wool navy blue herringbone that is the plainest thing in the universe. And then I have the very tweed, bright one. tweed, purple tweed with reflective material <laughs> in it that is sort of 50 sideshow terrifying car uh, car salesman from the period look. But it's brilliant at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the one I've worn at moustache competitions. And, you know, if I'm showing off and I want to... Mm-hmm. That's the suit that people will stop you in the street and go, oh, my God, where'd you get that from? Mm-hmm. Can I have my photograph taken with you? That That's sort all of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, it's somewhere between genius and clown, but I'm not too sure where. Right. That sort of segues into uh, a topic I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, sort of, what do you reckon on current men's fashion? What was that one? Stunned <laughs> silence. <laughs> No, Do no, we have I, any sort of idea? I think I think we can kid ourselves that we're not interested in fashion because it, it, it is something that's I I be honest with you, I don't look at anything 
like I don't subscribe to any magazines. I don't. I'm not often in a in a city where I see. I know I, I live in Glasgow, but I don't live in Glasgow. If you know what I mean, I live in, in the, right out in the outskirts, so I don't really see what people are wearing, and I don't tend to see too much. I know that that obviously there's there's more of a trend towards like everything getting sort of slimmer and narrower, and and that's been going on for years. And you keep thinking that'll end, and it'll it'll all start to expand again. And I think every year it's like wider trousers are coming back, but they never really do. That they, they just it seems to go. I um about this time last year had bought a shirt from an online company, um, and it was like English made cotton shirt and it was just like a blue button down shirt and i thought i'll wear that a lot so i thought i'll go for the large because they said it was slightly slimmer now bear in mind i'm a 15 collar i know that you might see but i'm, I'm a 15 collar um i'm a 32 waist and this large shirt i couldn't get it buttoned could not get wow. it buttoned um you know and i weighed at the time i think what just under 11 stone you know and, and i couldn't couldn't get the shirt to button up as large and it's still lying i didn't return it i'm just um just still got it you know but that's shirts are the thing for me anyways i'm, I'm going off topic slightly but it's, it's kind of hard to feel body positive in the light of such uh, setbacks mm, yeah i, I, I sold you on but um <laughs> yeah I, I don't know fashion what what what's what what's it doing i don't know i think i only come across fashion because i've got a boy who's becoming a teenager and they right. just wear tracksuits yeah designer tracksuits and they aspire to having designer tracksuits yeah so tracksuit but it's still fundamentally a tracksuit and they don't call them tracksuits anymore they're called joggers, joggers. And, and even the joggers are skinny which i i'm kind of like oh wow that's that's new to me but yeah there's a lot of what yeah. i would class as ill-fitting menswear which right. is fashionable so uh -huh. I think we've all alluded to very, very skinny suits and shirts. Mm -hmm. I can't wear anything skinny, you know. I, you know, I have a forty-five inch chest, a seventeen collar, and a thirty-two waist. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm built like a gigantic triangle. So if it says it's skinny, it's never going to go anywhere no. near. The, the the problem is, John, that there are people that would would of your build that would still wear skinny. Yes, no, that, if, that, you know, uh, 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 that's where it's. Well, I, I'm always surprised at the lycrification of denim. You kind of go, and for men's denim as well. My wife's denim has nearly always had lycra in a stretch, but men's denim, you know, I bought fairly recently, TK Maxx specials, pair of jeans, because I needed a pair of jeans when I was away with work. Yeah. Um, and they've, you know, 7% lasting because they're meant to be stretchy. I'm like, well, surely denim's just cotton. That's the whole point of it. It's a yeah, denim yeah. Where yeah. thing. You kind of go, actually, without the elastin, I'd never have got into them. Right. <laughs> They have they have been consigned. They have been consigned to a you know going to go back to charity because they were an emergency purchase. Yeah, but it's just like wow that that's how people do things. I, actually wear I, them. I am I'm yeah far from wearing skinny. Mm -hmm. But skinny is kind of a male female thing, isn't it? Because girls tend towards skinny tight stuff, but traditionally men haven't really gone that way. Or no, am I completely I, out of it? Not in the twentieth century, anyway. Twenty first century. I mean, it's been you know not since sort of I don't know Elizabethan times that they were, were kind of wore tights and a codpiece. Um, but <laughs> that could be coming back. Let's bring that back. I'm bring it back, back. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, there have been signs of the cod piece coming back, but I have been unable to find any. Uh, that was 1985, sale. Nick. That was Cameo, remember? Word up. <laughs> that was the last time they came back. And I don't think it picked oh. up then, did it? <laughs> big red one. Remember, word up. Yeah, remember. Big, it big hope. Cricket, cricket That's as close as you're going to get. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, no, I don't think. I've now got word up in my head, which is slightly sad. Yeah. I'm playing in my head. You can put it on later. But. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind like slim jeans. I quite like like jeans and trousers being slim, not too slim, but like fairly slim. And I, you know, I think because I'm quite small, it, it looks better than something huge and baggy. But um, I think, yeah, I think on the whole, like that, that I think there's there's a disparity between people buying these skinny clothes, slim clothes and what actually suits them. And I think this is where they feel the need to buy them um, because that's what's fashionable, but it doesn't necessarily what suits them. But that's something you work out yourself, isn't it? Over and isn't, isn't that the thing with fashion anyway? It's not, you know, it's not necessarily meant to suit everybody. It's what's good and cool at the time and you squeeze into it and then it changes. Yeah. I guess men's men's fashion doesn't change as dramatically as women's, you know, women, you know, my wife's always on the four seasons a year and it's all going to be slightly different from the one before it. And mm-hmm. she's now coming around to the idea of being that classic French woman of buying a few really timeless things and then accessorizing it and changing it as opposed to you have to have a completely different wardrobe four mm-hmm. times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think men necessarily have to adjust so much. You know, I've been wearing jeans and boots for casual for the last three decades mm-hmm. and it hasn't dramatically changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm still wearing boots and jeans and a shirt. Maybe I'm old-fashioned now. I don't know. Maybe I've I've slipped into that thing where you've got comfortable where you were, and you haven't changed. But um, I, yeah, I think you sort of tweak it though over the years, don't you? You get you, you get comfortable with things, but you you kind of tweak it slightly, as in like, um, you know, whether it's sort of jeans. So you're saying, you know, iron heart. So where one level might have been okay for you. Um, 20 years ago you're kind of now going oh well I'll, I'll, I'll just buy something that little bit better or um, and it's boots as well you know I think that's the thing with both the boots and jeans the quality has gone up I've always worn them but the quality has gone up and I know what I like yeah some of the you know I've got a pair of Carhartts and a pair of um old Wesco boots that I used to wear in the 90s that I still wear now because mm-hmm. that quality mm-hmm. has hasn't really changed and yeah if anything it's gone down yeah but there are things you know I I want a nice pair of jeans like the Ironhearts I bought this year yeah my last pair of Ironhearts lasted me nearly seven years. Uh-huh. You're not going to get that longevity out of a pair of jeans that are, you know, for me, the perfect fit. Yeah. They are tough. They are rugged. They do what jeans are supposed to do. They, they cover my legs. They look good. They fit well. They age so, beautifully and they last. So when you're saying like seven years, how many sort of wears a week would you, would you wear them most so of the time? Pretty much my only pair of jeans. So right, that's, okay. Yeah, when so, I'm not yeah. working a suit, they are my go-to yeah. jeans. Mm-hmm. Pull them off for the weekend, so most of the weekends I'm in them. Mm-hmm. You know, before buying Ironheart jeans, I used to buy nicer jeans, but I, you know, I'd never get more than two years out of a pair of jeans before the knee would go, or the crutch would go, or the pocket mm-hmm. or something would go. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I said I'm expecting this pair to keep going well until I'm fifty. One point in favour of that is that the jeans we're buying now tend to be raw i.e. not pre-distressed, whereas not that many years ago, the jeans you were buying probably were 
well, especially you, John, they were bleached, they were sandblasted, they were, probably came with factory holes in them for that for that sort of man about town rugged look. Mm. All right, possibly. To, yeah, I was to say there's there certainly the amount of chemical washing that jeans had back then was, you know, you know, they were worn. Denim was seemed to be, you know, that lighter shade of blue as opposed to the really dark indigo you go for now, and you wear them to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess there probably was that involved, and, and I think you know it's it's a it's a bit about you know finding out what you like over years of being a you know younger guy, and then kind of working out as you get older, you might as well have that, but with the quality that you know you're going to last, you're going to live in, die mm-hmm. in that sort of thing. And it's what I was saying to you the other day, Nick, about combat trousers. In my late teens, early twenties, I wore combat trousers a lot, and now I kind of go. I'm a bit self-conscious to wear trousers, uh, combat trousers and trainers because um, it's either a bit youth or a bit beastie boys and I'm not anywhere particularly urban and I'm not wearing trainers very much. But I think, you know, you develop your style in your 20s and it goes with you. And I don't think my style's changed much since my late 20s, early 30s now. But, yeah, you know, there are things that have gone. So I'm not wearing combat trousers and mental trainers anymore that have... Mm. Do you think at some point we sort of well develop our old man style? Maybe maybe it's just growing up, or maybe it is old man style, and you get you know I still like a pair of bonkers trainers. I buy occasional pairs of bonkers trainers, and my son now is the same shoe size, and he just steals. So I buy mm. these pretty cool Nikes. I'm like these are amazing, and I kind of go, I'm probably never going to wear them. Of course, they don't fit in with my look, or I look a bit weird mm. as an old man wearing the latest trainers. But my 11 year old son's like, yeah, dad, you're super cool. I'll steal mm. those. I've always had a sort of weird, weird relationship with trainers where I, I, I sort of didn't wear them beyond my late teens. I sort of stopped wearing them when I was about 17 and and was always kind of in shoes from then. But I, I think because at that time I sort of developed a, a sort of, I was I wore a lot of 60s clothing then and, and charity shop clothing at that point, which was readily available. But so I, I wasn't into wearing trainers and then I never really got back into wearing them. But quite often, you know, I see so many designs and so many different types and styles. And quite often I see trainers and I think I quite like the look of them. I I, I would wear them, but then I buy them and they're not comfortable. I just don't find them as comfortable as shoes or boots. Um, And I know that that, supposed to be the main thing isn't it they're supposed to be comfortable i think that's, that's the kind of thing it's differently comfortable my son won't wear boots but will live and die in trainers mm-hmm. i can put trainers and go oh they're really comfortable or they feel like slippers and then you wear them for a couple of days and just go actually i'm much i'm much more comfortable in a pair of boots yeah boots. yeah and i think it's just what you get used to possibly i don't i'm gonna to have to com- make a confession here because i've been totally anti-trainer for the past 10 years <sighs> I'll, I'll have running shoes but trainers no uh, but then this summer, I did see a pair of Adidas ZX7000 or something like that in a National Park colour scheme. What's the colour? What colour is that? It was sort of um, inspired by some American National Park, I think, in uh, various browns and blues. And But I thought they looked fantastic. And I bought a pair. And I, they're my most worn shoes since I bought them. Really? They're just so yeah. nice. I think I know the model you mean, strangely enough. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of fairly timeless looking style. They're not like 
I two more don't know if I'd uh, call them timeless either because there no. were so many fiddly bits of color and you can sort of uh, put them together and uh, I mean they're quite mad but I've had so many compliments on them yeah from people who don't normally like what I wear at all yeah. but they were so comfy um not that I'm going to go train in mad or anything but yeah. I have really appreciated them I've got I've got a pair of Air Max I know that's a sort of generic term maybe Air Max 90 or something that are like black, black, red and grey, I think, white, red and grey. And they're a size nine. Now, I'm normally an eight or an eight and a half, and they're a UK nine, and they don't fit me. They're too small. And I've taken the insoles out, and they're still too small. They're too tight, because my feet are particularly wide, but they're just lying in the cupboard. So I'll give them to my son, because he's an eight now. But, um, yeah, and I've got a pair of, Asax, I A A S, yeah, and they're sort of like flat ones, like seventies, uh, Onkus Tiger, something Tiger, um, and they're green suede with yellow bits, and I thought they're so cool, I'll have to buy them. And again, they're just I can't wear them; they're just too painful, just not comfortable. Well, I'm sorry, I wasn't because I live in the countryside. Yeah, kind of like wearing trainers in the country it doesn't fit like it particularly you know it's wet weather at the moment there's plow fields everywhere if i go out in trainers they're going to be destroyed yeah yeah so I, I go between work boots and wellies at the moment right. that's pretty much it that's a that's a fair point go anywhere else, i'd probably put i'd probably would if i was still living in london i'd probably wear trainers a lot more yeah if i, if I did any sport i'd probably wear trainers but i yeah yeah why would you but day to day, they're not like a first choice for anybody. Then they're not like none of you would say, right? I'll just reach for. A, apart from you, Nick, obviously, that, that you've hidden that fact quite well. But um, that you would just reach for a pair of trainers. Like, <laughs> look at my look at my exclusive Japanese boots. And he, whilst he reaches for his Adidas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now let's move on from fashion, which we clearly have very little idea <laughs> Nothing of. Nothing to say. <laughs> It was kind of a trick question yeah, yeah. because I knew that well, we hardly pay attention and we have little interest in it. I wanted to ask you a bit about TV drama series and uh, the costumes they use. I know, John, you have opinions. Um, I'm, th- I'm thinking about Yorkshire vets yes. from the 50s. All creatures great and small. I love all creatures great and small. I am now working with dogs for a veterinary company. I dress like um, Siegfried from that quite a lot. Which yeah. gets quite on because I've got a beard, so we apparently look similar. Um, but yeah, there were there were just a couple of I don't, don't know if inaccuracies necessarily, but just things that irked me about it. Um, the overuse of rubber soles on brogues, although Dan I'd been around for decades, they weren't going to be particularly common. Um, picking out a couple of the jackets and, and things, yeah, and the, just the sheer volume of clothes they have as well. If you're talking about that era, you know, if you're lucky, you had one suit, like five or six. Obviously, and, and they're changing them all the time. And they change their clothes so, so frequently; it's kind of a, that's an inaccuracy. And I think we both spotted sort of a Yarmo, uh, Yarmouth oilskin jackets on them at one point, and kind of went, oh, "Yeah, the, the shop coats." Yeah, the shop coats, and you kind of went, uh, "They are of an era, but they kind of go they're in a slightly more modern way." But yes, it's 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 just something I, you know, as a slight, you know, stitch Nazi, I think, occurred. I sometimes look at things and go. Oh, historically inaccurate. And the same with military uniforms occasionally. I know that some of my uh, friends who supply military stuff now, because lots of things are filmed in HD, they can't get away with wearing inaccurate uniforms. So 
there are people out there that do watch and do care. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And, and, you know, I think because TV is accessible, everybody sees TV, you take examples from it and see things. Uh, the programme, historically or inaccurately, clothes-wise, I detest was Peaky Blinders because it's all historical fobble. There's, there's no accuracy there in any of their outfits. Although it spurned a huge look and loads of people copying it and it is stylistically quite reasonable, but it's just not historically accurate. And then the uh, the flowers, the the sitcom I've just started watching. The mm. costumes are great, and I you know, and historically it's not historical clothing, but they just look cool. Mm. And the wife and I have drawn parallels between the two central characters being us and her, which is um quite interesting as well. But yeah, that's so, that's so sweet, adorable. <laughs> is that was it written by Caitlin Moran? Is that the one I'm thinking of that is based on her? Is it? It's based on her upbringing. You know Caitlin Moran. The, the, I do know Caitlin Moran. Uh, I don't think it is. I think that's How to Build a Girl, isn't it? No, no. This was this something else. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But I, I, that was I'd sort of seen a few episodes of it, um, maybe the first two episodes, and we kind of thought, well, yeah, we'll go back to that, and then we never did. But um, I'm just going to check. But, but yeah, so you, you, we've talked about this, Nick, haven't we? About um, particularly all creatures great and small, and some of the the, the questions that have come up from their costuming, which you know. Maybe a bit extreme, but but they have done a lot for the popularity of knitted vests, though. They have. I'm, I'm sure you know Jamesons and Shetland are making a fortune off the back of it. I actually think the costumes are better than the storylines, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> they, they do. They look fab, but you know, I just you just kind of sit there and kind of go, yeah, maybe not quite as accurate as they could have been. I was watching. Uh, I started watching Dark Waters, and I was. Well, again, the storyline didn't do much for me, but the costumes were great. Uh, there's something they managed to do in the costume departments where they managed to make stuff that actually looks old, which I suppose is a bit weird because if it was at the time, it would have been quite new. But it's just looking back that we expect it to be old. But when they're sort of worn and rumpled, they just look so great. It's the same same thing uh, Guy Ritchie's costumer did in the Sherlock Holmes films. Yes, yeah, and again, that they have great costumes, and they they've you know th there are people that are professionally age clothes for them, and, and and you know, and then there are vintage sellers in the UK. I know that supply lots of different TV and movies from their archives. So yeah, there is there's obviously people out there looking and caring, like us watching it and kind of going, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's a true nerds sitting there, mm. sort of. Yeah, not much of a story, and the costumes are trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Sean? Uh, I've not seen any of the programs you were discussing, so um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that that TV programs that I could think strictly uh, it, dancing not strictly either no no <laughs> the the crown was something that we really enjoyed, and and again that was. Um, from from an, a sort of an amateur point of view, it looked fairly accurate. You know, there's obviously been a lot of money thrown at it, so you would expect that yeah. it would be. Um, it may not have been. The, the one thing I, I tend to notice that they, they get wrong sometimes is cars. So they'll, yeah. they'll, especially police dramas, they tend to put wrong police or from a wrong, they just think, oh, that's a 1970s police car, that'll do, where it might not have necessarily been the, the right one at the right time, you know. Um, that is the only thing I tend to pick up on more than more than actual actual clothing. But, um, yeah, the Crown, from what I saw 
was fairly accurate. I know there was a bit of a hoo-ha um, with the who was going to be playing Prince Charles in the next series, and there was a bit of a brouhaha about his suit or the way he was wearing his his tie knot or something. There was a bit of a chat on the internet. I don't know if you if you saw any of that. There was also the waxed uh, jacket perverts that got their barbers in a twist. Uh, Very annoyed. Accurate. Oh, right. And what was it? What was it? What happened? I think there were '90s three crown jackets in the '80s ah. episodes, and I think they were wearing a lot of them wearing bedales, where the royals tend to wear solways. Or right. Or okay. Uh. Being a bit of a barber nerd as well. Sorry, but they they, they did they they. They looked great again, but it wasn't necessarily the right ones at the right period. Right, okay. And what what I did notice with the barbers, they they looked a bit new. They they, they look, I always imagined that they wouldn't be maybe quite as new as um, they, they had them. You know, they, they were like they sort of they were very dark green. There wasn't any creases on them. They were like you know they were kind of like uh, looked like they'd just come out of the packet. You know. Well, I think there was a spike in sales. Though. I think the crown did them a great favor. Right. Okay. I imagine that must be down to the person who's styling the costumes and their preference. Because if it had been one of us, we'd have given them a ratty old barber and said, this is authentic. Yeah. But yeah. If you're the sort of person who buys a barber every second year and sort of throws it away when it's yeah. looking a bit worn, yeah. you'd have wanted a fresh one. Yeah, true. And I imagine, particularly the bit on Balmoral, I imagine those barbers have been sat there since barbers were invented. I imagine, you know, they don't, they just mm. hang them up in a hunting lodge and put them on when they go there and take them off and put them on and take them off and they don't mm. really think about it. The thing is, like, where, where Balmoral is, is it's in winter, it's it's probably the coldest part of Scotland, i.e. the UK, because um, it's, it's, in, it's in a sort of dip um, surrounded by mountains and it, the temperature there tends to be as low as you'll get. But subsequently in the summer, it tends to be about the hottest part of Scotland because it is so sheltered. So you kind of think, when would they wear just a barber? I don't know. Because you know what they're like. They're not good for winter. No, it was a joke. I think I was joking with you, Nick, about how when they go out on Balmoral, it just reminded me of my family in Norfolk at the similar time period. All of them with headscarves on, the women and barber jackets, long barber jackets and things, and just yomping across fields and just went, oh, it feels quite homely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know whether I think my whether my uh, I, I seriously doubt my family in Norfolk were inspired by the royal family or even cared what the royal family were doing, but yeah. they were wearing the same barber jackets and wellies and yomping across things to murder birds in the middle of nowhere. Isn't it just by the sort of country style rule book though that that's what you wear? Because you see, the country style is very established. I was watching this um, this new Christmas film recently. It was on Netflix. It was pretty awful. It was uh, Brooke Shields was an author, came from America to stay at a castle in Scotland. But throughout the development of the story, um, she was wearing very, very typical country style things like leather boots and yeah. the barber yeah. and the sweater. And she was sort of yeah. The stylist had clearly sort of set her up with these things. There might have been a pair of hunter boots as well, but it was by the playbook. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't changed since the fifties. Uh, you know, right. has and you know, the first day of shooting. I live in a village now, and the first day of shooting, nine o'clock in the morning, I was out getting the morning paper and some milk, and there was a Land Rover full of very portly men with red faces, all in pristine shooting gear, 
it was all new and they obviously hadn't worn it a great deal and hadn't done a lot of shooting in it but they all were dressed as a yeah. trope it was almost like a almost like a costume yeah black costume yeah. drama Cos- cosplaying and it was cos- and it was like they're, they're cosplaying the landed gentry but they had a very nice land rover and some beautiful dogs and they're all in very lovely tweeds and mm. shooting bricks and stocks and stuff and you kind of went i've never seen any of these people before in my life you're not from the village what are you doing mm. and they're all often murder pheasants on the first day of shooting you know like, oh. yeah. i think like most most farmers i've known you know, there was farmers in my family and, and I sort of lived on, on the edge of the country when I was growing up. And like, it, it was, it, they didn't really like, all right, there's a difference between like a gentleman farmer and a regular farmer, but they tended to wear like uh, boiler suits for protection, uh, you know, general farm work. Um, they stopped using Land Rovers sort of in the 80s when the, the prices got more expensive and they got less reliable and tended to move on to uh, Toyota pickups and things, um, you know. So the, the the kind of like what we see is the the cliched uh, look. It, it would be of a, a certain type of country gent or country country lady, um, but not everybody, you know. Um, yep. And I remember, you know, the, there was um, raspberry strawberry fields all around where I where I grew up. And all the ladies would wear headscarves um, on the way to go picking raspberries. Um, so they would they would spend the day picking raspberries, and that you know that would be their summer. They would make money, um, you know. But the headscarves was to protect them from wasps, you know, because there was so many wasps. Um, so a lot of these things were sort of a, a practical use, um, you know. And generally, as I say, generally a farmer would wouldn't be what we see as a farmer on the television yeah there are as john said you know you got the country types you'll get the people that will moved to the country and think right what do i need to buy you know i'll need to buy this type of what's the right type of welly what's the you know to try and fit in and then everything's like brand new uh, because they, they want to try and sort of fit into the the, the country ways kind of thing you know um, yeah no i totally echo that from my childhood granddad with the nissan pickups it's like we'll just yeah. get the cheap works and there was a lot of overall wearing whether we're actually doing anything practical yeah when they went after the drive in the afternoon grandma and granddad with a flask of tea and some sandwiches to look at what's going on in if they put barber jackets on and look yeah the part. yeah but the rest of the time my granddad's trousers were held with baler twine and uh, broken braces pretty much the entire time. very practical you know it was almost back to that we've got one i've got one suit i wear for weddings funerals uh-huh. and i don't wear it very often and i wear a wax jacket when i go anywhere posh because that's mm-hmm. what posh people were mm-hmm. would there be mileage in setting up a, a sort of um authentic outfitters for non-authentic country folks well there's loads of them already i think well, i'm thinking more sort of scrappy barbers and uh, <laughs> muddy wellies sort of pre pre-used oh I, I, right okay yeah i mean but, but those i don't think those people want that i think they do want no, the nice like, yeah. all the really expensive classic hunting shooting and fishing you know where I live in yeah. the hills, there are lots of shooting and fishing shops that all have nice Orvis and uh-huh. Barber and, you know, Le Chameau and all that sort of stuff. Any country town across the UK will have somewhere where you can sort of buy uh, these things, you know, right across, not just in England, right across Scotland as well. There's um, anywhere that you're sort of near somebody that owns land or, you know, or you're sort of near um, uh, countryside, you'll find a shop that'll, that'll sell this, that kind of thing, you know? I think, it, like, like Nick was saying, it does almost become 
country cosplay, mm-hmm. which I, yeah. find, I, I find slightly odd because sometimes I look the part completely accidentally because I'm wearing my granddad's old barber and I wear wellies nearly all the time because I'm in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I'll yomp across a field and someone becomes mm-hmm. a landowner or something far more important than just a random dog walker who's out to keep away from people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The thing is, there's no getting away from the fact that an old barber is a deeply, deeply practical item of clothing. You know, okay, it isn't particularly warm, but you can layer them. You know, it's it's something you can throw on and not care about banging into stuff, um, getting it a bit worn. You know, you can put something in the pocket that is a bit unsavory that you've picked up. So you're going to be less likely to do that. Well, you know, it's like if you're out in the country, you see something like a stone or a twig and you go, oh, I'll I'll take that back and I'll I'll whittle it or whatever, you know. you're you're less likely to do that if you're wearing a nice bit of tweed overcoat or, or an, oh, an old an old barber jacket used to have the pop out pockets so you could do that and wash the yeah. pockets yeah you don't have you any of those holes things. in the bottom where yeah, you they, can drain drain out but they don't seem to have many of those features anymore because they're not necessarily used for that yeah my, yeah. my barber the one I wear the most frequently probably is a 1970s Solway zipper which yeah. is also acts as a dog bed in my car when I'm not right. wearing it. Because the dogs are minging. I don't want my car seats getting dirty, but I don't yeah. mind a 50-year-old barber getting covered in. Given the vintage of that Solway zipper, I imagine that the dog lying on it actually improves. It probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not going to do any harm. <laughs> so is there mileage in uh, setting up sort of reenactments of Last of the Summer Wine? You can go see my dad any time you like. <laughs> now you're talking, you know. that that, that was, a, that was I, I genuinely, as a child used to look at what they were wearing and think it was quite good, you know? So you had, like, Foggy, and he had his M65 jacket. You know, he was a kind of ex-military man. And I loved that jacket. I thought it looked so cool. And now I have one, and I love it. But um, when I was wearing two cardigans yesterday, I think deep down, like, I was thinking about Clegg, because he used to wear um, sort of a, a cardigan under his... or a waistcoat under an open cardigan. Um, and then his suit over it and his little raincoat over that. And I thought, ah, it was like layer, expert level layering um, before it had a name, you know? <laughs> like a waistcoat under his, under, under a cardigan. So cool. You know, and that was... I'm yeah. definitely more compo most of the time when I'm out and about, to be fair. Well, yeah, I mean, again, like, you you know, a bit of worn in tweed, you know? As you say, a bit of twine hanging out of the pocket, his wellies. These guys had it, you know? They had it, Absolutely. Sort of nailed that look, and, and a little wool watch cap before the yep. beanies were yep. invented. Yeah, absolutely. Him and Benny from Crossroads, definitely my style inspirations. I was looking for one of those actually, and I was struggling to find one that was wool. I mean, you know, ninety nine percent of the stuff that's out there is is uh, acrylic or polyester or whatever. Um, I was actually struggling to find a wool one. I've got one now actually. I'm getting it for Christmas, but. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to have to knit my own. Speaking of Glasgow and wool caps, I mean, it was a bit shameful during the COP26 uh, summit that the volunteers, the thousand volunteers, were all wearing acrylic yeah. caps. Yeah, I know. And protesters as well. I don't know if you noticed. There was there was protesters that were wearing hats uh, that had some, I can't remember, I'm ashamed now, I can't remember what the message was on them that you could tell were acrylic. I mean, you know, you can tell it. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, one final point I'd like to mention about 
TV drama, something my wife keeps mentioning when we're watching. And that's how, say, if something is set in 1975, mm. their home will consist entirely of 1975 stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah. has anyone ever lived like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Everything they have is yeah. up to date. Uh, uh, unless you've had an insurance fraud and something, and you've, you've renewed everything, you know. Um, but yeah, point. no, it's a, val- it's a really valid point, actually. I never really thought of that. Yeah. Because uh, uh, you tended to, in 1975, you would tend to have things from the 1950s, you know, would, would be prevalent rather than, you'd have maybe the odd thing that was uh, a little bit more modern, but. Um, maybe a modern telly. Or a radio. Yeah, joke. but then tellies didn't really change a huge amount until the sort of the end of the 80s. So, you know, they tended to be a sort of rounded screen, silver bit at the side with the buttons, you know. Um, yeah. You know, they didn't they didn't change a huge amount. So you could, you could the telly would be fairly interchangeable. It's a, it's a similar, I see it with sort of furniture and designer items from, you know, something from 1975 will have, Mm. This beautiful East German piece of craft pottery. It's like nobody had that in the 1975. No. It's no. a very 1975. Stick a lava lamp in there because that's from the 70s. It's like yeah. how many people actually had. Yeah, exactly. It's going yeah. back to the, you know multiple changes of clothes in the 1940s and 50s. It didn't yeah. happen. It's like no. Nobody had all these wonderful designer items that said, I am from 1975. Yeah. Maybe they need to, maybe they need to take it up a level then. Maybe they need people to sort of, you know... I don't know. Maybe they're allocated a certain budget for, um, you know, reenact, you know, for for props and and fittings and and that's all. And they need to try and do what they can within that budget. But yeah, maybe it just needs a little bit more um, analysis and a little bit more thought put into it. But it's TV. Yeah. It's fun. It's entertaining. Nobody takes it seriously apart from us three grumpy yeah. old men. Go, that would never. Oh no! Oh, they've got it wrong. Oh. The one that always stood out for me was uh, the film Quadrophenia, which was, what, 1979 and was set in 1964 or something. And um, when he's riding along on on his scooter going down some main road in London, in the background's a Renault 5, you know, and I always just remember this Renault 5. It just really stood out for me. I just thought, you know, I know it's difficult to film a street scene like that without having, you know, without a huge... Um, budget, you know, the way they've turned Glasgow into uh, 1950s New York just uh, about six months ago when they can close the whole set. But obviously they couldn't do that then. But then, you know, it's just it just really, really stood out, this this Renault 5. It just, uh... There's also the thing about the popular, popular consciousness, isn't it? So I was watching Easy Rider. Love the film Easy Rider with my wife. Yeah. That's in yeah. 1969. Yeah. That's not what my mum and dad were doing in 1969, or had any knowledge of happening in 1969. Yeah. Or and they were pretty average people, I'm guessing, back in the day. Yeah. And you kind of go, so an average English couple in 1969 were not riding around on choppers and yeah. doing like cocaine and yeah. doing deals across the Mexican border and stuff. And it's kind of like, but people assume everything, you know, everybody was a hippie and yeah. everybody in 1969. It's like the summer of love, the summer of love didn't happen until the mid 70s because you know yeah. pop hadn't caught up. Yeah, that, 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 there is. I, I do remember sort of reading an essay. I think it might have been Dominic Sandbrook saying that, you know, the sixties didn't really happen for everybody until the seventies. Yeah, you know, the, it, it wasn't until the seventies that they, they, they gained those freedoms. But it's the same when we talk about, when we talk about the nineties because that's more my era, our era. What people talk about the nineties didn't happen until the end of the nineties and yeah. probably the early two thousands. You kind of like, yeah. 
the end of the 90s, it was sort of the 80s thing where it was all mixed up and nobody knew what was going on and, and raves and stuff. And then they go, yeah. oh, 90, and you go, 90s, Spice Girls. That was like late to end of the 90s, really. Yeah, wasn't pretty it? much right at the end, wasn't but, it? Yeah. And I Britpop and stuff was kind of kicking off 95, 96. Probably yeah. wasn't 98, 99 until it was really a big thing. So, yeah, yeah. there's... And it's like when they, when they when they try and portray the nineteen seventies, they'll just suddenly put an ABBA record on, or it'll be disco. Um, you know, it won't be uh, like punk. Rather, so if if punk is punk, but if they're trying to portray the seventies, it'll be disco rather than punk. That they'll, yep. um, you know, I suppose disco maybe had a, a bigger cultural impact um, at the time. You know, um, possibly, but yeah. Mm. Just to sort of bring it back to sort of a fashion perspective, you could say that selvage denim has had a sing- similar arc as well, where you had the earlier adopters, then you had the sort of main part of it, and now you have people into selvage denim that don't really know where it really came from. No, I, I, and that's been a fairly modern, I guess. When I'm, you know, I, I like jeans. I've always liked jeans. I've been a bit obsessive about jeans for most of my adult life. Hmm. But yeah, it's, you know, when did Japanese denim come into the UK? Not that long ago. 12, 12 years ago, maybe. Yeah, and now there, there, is, there are whole cultures about it. And, you know, fade culture and people wanting, you know, people... There are pages and pages on the web about how to fade your jeans in different ways. What, I mean, mm. so, what to sand them with to get certain effects. It's kind of like, I, mm. I just want really nice jeans that I can wear that are really well made, ethically, mm. and will last a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's odd. I can sell my second-hand jeans for more than most people pay, pay for a new pair of jeans mm-hmm. when they're destroyed. Because people want, yeah, it's it's an interesting. And this is the same we've said it a little bit before about boots as well. The boot culture is kind of I like work boots because I like the practicals of them and the way they look. But there's now a culture of people spending hundreds of pounds on American work boots in the UK mm-hmm. who are never going to work in them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's odd because I think, as far as I can tell, the popularity of say boots and jeans has peaked and started going down but at the same time stuff is now more expensive than ever before it used to be you were pretty cool if you had a 250 quid pair of red wings nowadays you're looking at a thousand pounds worth of japanese or canadian speciality boots and I find that odd. I, I, especially anti boots. I've got on a pair of Weiberg boots back from the Weiberg factory. They must be at least thirty years old. I bought mm. them a good fifteen years ago. Smoke jumpers. They're designed for Canadian firefighters in forest fires. They will last forever. Mm. They'll outlive me. And now there are lots of people I see knocking around in London, paying nearly a thousand pound for them. And I've got mine mm. secondhand from a bloke in Canada for sixty quid. Mm. And he thought I was mental for buying his old work boots. But I was like, I just wanted them for nothing about. I've had them fixed, resold. That they are my go-to boots. I wear them a lot, but yeah, it's an odd, odd thing. You know, I can't. You know, nobody who's not climbing trees in Canadian forests and putting out fires will actually need a pair of smoke jumpers, particularly yeah. in this country. They're utterly pointless in this country for anything other than I, like nice boots. Again, it's it's that striving for something different, striving for workwear authenticity you know it's going down that route isn't it so you know that it's it's about having something that's that's got that authentic um backstory maybe behind it so like if a company sets up and just says here's some boots right and yeah they're made in britain and they're quite nice and they're made of leather i'm going to charge you 600 pound 
you'd be like, piss off, I'm not paying that. But if, <laughs> if, if, if you had this, and it's, it's nothing wrong with that, because that's the way we are, that's the way men are on the whole, that if, you know, if you then say, right, okay, these um, were used in Lapland by tree fellers, um, and they were a speciality boot, and, and some of them made their way into Paris in the 1970s and became very fashionable, but then they disappeared, and then you couldn't, you know, nobody could find a pair, but then suddenly this manufacturer, blah, 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 right? The I'm original not, manufacturer. Original manufacturer, not again. somebody that's bought the name, not original manufacturer. And, um, <laughs> Then suddenly you're like, ooh, ooh, I quite like that idea. That that sounds nice, yeah. you know. And, and you're buying into, and, and we all do it, you know. We all buy into it. But yeah. you know, what what you're saying, John, is that you know you found this story of these boots, um, and, and got in early, you know, and you you've got these are great and these are authentic, and like I think, like I don't think anybody should be ashamed of that because that's just I think that's just the way men are, isn't it? You you like the yeah. backstory, you like something to be having a bit of authenticity and we would reject the things that don't, you know, we tend to, to, to buy into it, don't we? Yeah. Uh, well, what I'm looking at at the moment are, are gas meter reader boots from the the thirties. Oh, where the late, left late thirties or early thirties, uh, mid thirties, mid thirties. The left right. foot has, has a steel, uh, a sort of steel cap, which goes wide around the foot because you need the cap to kick on the door. So people oh, right. open. Okay. And it had to be the left foot because most doors open that way, and you wanted ah, to get your foot in the doorway. Sure. And this is and really doors heavier then. So, also, yeah. also pretty light, but had to have a very, very grippy sole in case you had to make a run for it. So the original ah, manufacturer right, okay. has started making these again. Yeah. Right. Is it the original really, manufacturer though? It's the original. Is it right? Okay. The original company name, and um, they've got quite a backstory there. And I'm making all this up as I go along, mm. but it sounds plausible. That's right? nice. You're buying into I, it. I'd buy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that authentic bit about being able to jam your foot in the door, oh, but not have your foot crushed. Yeah. I, would, I would, I would buy them. I'd buy them. Well, is it, <laughs> like, I, I've seen a couple of high school. It was, um, I think, Clark's did a thing with Norton, the motorbike people, and right. there were some boots on the high street that had um, gear changing pads sewn on oh, the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But on both boots, you know. Oh, mm. which, yeah. <laughs> for left hand driving, right hand driving. Yeah, you kind of go. Well, they just, they just went. Well, you know, I. They are. They have a purpose, but they have that yeah. purpose completely negated and into the style. Yeah. Oddly, my William Lennon boots I had made. I've had uh -huh. those both sides, but I don't ride a motorbike. I use them for kicking open gates when I'm on the farm. Yeah. I don't want to mess about holding string and stuff. There's a uh -huh. lot of 12 by gates, metal gates, so I kick them open and it splits the leather on top of my boots. Right. So I've had gear changing pads put on both sides. So yeah, no, it just it's, it's one of those things. It's kind of like there is a reason for having that design. Mm. There is a reason for having a certain sole on boot. There is a reason, you know, it's designed to have crampons put on it or it's designed to have mm -hmm. whatever, but how many people actually use it for anything practical? Yeah, no. and I, I bet those Clarks ones also had zips in the side. They did, yeah. Of course, that's for ease of access. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh. Sorry to interrupt, but at this point in the pod, you're probably wondering where are the ads? I miss the ads. And you're right, there are no ads. I hate ads. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, though, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, enter Gomology, and it's easy. And uh, yeah, let's continue on. Now, we did touch upon something there, which I'd like to pursue a little further. The way brands are still buying up histories, brand names, or making up 
names and histories and mm. whatever. Have you seen any good ones of recent? The one that, well, the only one that's springing to mind is is John White Footwear, that were a fairly well respected uh, Northamptonshire footmaker. Not not one of the the big ones, but they made decent, well made shoes, um, and they're still going. But they're still going because somebody they went bust and somebody bought the name and um, has relaunched them as super pointy kind of horrible coloured, you know, cheapy rubbish. And they're still trading on the name. But it, I've bought a few pairs of the older John White and they're, they're, they're good shoes. And they're not massively expensive secondhand because the name's not perhaps as well known. Um, but there's the thing. And I, th- I think from what I checked is they'd gone under for maybe five or six years and then um, somebody had bought the name out and relaunched it and they're just cheap shoes are just crappy shoes there there are a, a, a huge number of companies that have done that though like is it abc brands in the states that own you know, the, the the brand name for everything like from right. i think i think they own the the brand brand mark muhammad ali and right. they, they just bought <laughs> names of everything and they own yeah. so big fashion companies they don't fry boots for example which used to make exquisite boots I think yeah. some of the manufacturers um, they've bought up, and they're owned by this brand company, uh, which are actually owned by Ling Yang, whatever the company, Ying Lang, I think it's called, Industries in China. Yeah. But then they've got a contract to have them made somewhere else, and you know yeah. they're still charging a premium for all these brands. But they ABC, I'm sure they're called ABC brands, own so many things you just wouldn't have thought of. I think mm. they Timberland uh, and sure. several other. I can't remember who they own. They own bucket loads of names that yeah. just trip off the tongue. Timberland's a funny one where like they they did have a sort of range of clothes I, I don't know much about I mean obviously it was the boots was the main thing wasn't it so everybody had those boots in the what the 90s the noughties you know those uh, you know I never had a pair but um, you know the ones I mean and then so they, they had a sort of half decent sort of range of of clothing but i don't i don't know what they're doing now i mean i, I can't i didn't even know they were still on the go to be honest with you um well christopher rayburn is their creative director is he yeah so i think they're Ooh. definitely on the hip side of things these days yeah, right. okay not that we'd notice because we're not sort of maybe yeah. core audience or but <laughs> ABC, the authentic brands group in america they own just brooks brothers forever 21 nine west the, the prank Symbol Prince Reebok, among uh-huh. others, and they they just have like Airwalk, Arrow shirts, yeah. Eddie Bauer, you know, yeah. brands like Fry Boots, like I said, yeah, uh, yeah, just a lot of yeah. stuff. Izod, I'm just going through Nordica, yeah, Mark West. But are they making stuff under all these brand names, or are they just leasing the brands to other companies that want to produce? And I think it's a bit of both. I think they they just own the names. So, as I said, they own it was it was it was Elvis Presley they own the name of and Prince, and um, just a few, just it's just mind blowing that you know they have all these things and they are then subcontracted and sub manufactured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look into the, the background of so many brands and so many things it's something i know nick and i have talked about before about the sort of greenwashing and what is ethically mm. 
endorsed and what isn't and everybody is brand washing and we don't know where things come from that is what i'm basically mm. saying we don't know who owns yeah. why and why it comes from and where it built unless you are very keen and go out and find that information so when does a brand stop being a brand though say if you have a brand and you have a factory and then you maybe build a new factory move to that are you still the same brand if you uh, sell the company sell the brand name are you still the same brand uh, it's the same people are still making the stuff i mean it's when does it stop being the original? I think as long as people are still buying into what the, I suppose, what buying into the name, okay? So they're buying into, so like say, um, John mentioned um, like Arrow Shirts. So I think they were, they were quite big in the 60s, weren't they? Arrow Shirts were quite like the sort of the big thing. Um, I think they were, yeah. You know, so, but it, it must, there must be a point where people start to realise that wait a minute, I'm buying these Arrow shirts at this name, but they're crap, you know? And they, they must build a brand with the name, but there must be a point where that starts to drop off. I don't think there, I think there point. must be brands that they've bought and sold and moved on and, you know, things disappear, don't they, out, out of fashion, and then somebody else will buy yeah. it, retweak the brand and relaunch it as something else. Yeah, yeah. With a big brand extension, you can people trust a name, they'll extend it as much as they can to get as much mileage out of it. I'll tell you what's a good example of that in the UK is uh, Wolsey, which is 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 still got the name of the oldest, it's not the oldest business in the UK, but it's the oldest clothing manufacturer, textile manufacturer in the UK. And they go back to sort of the 16, 16th century. I think it's 1755 they have in their name now, isn't it? Is it 1755? Which is still 17, yeah. ages ago. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a while ago. And they were kind of like sold through like BHS and stuff, very sensible old man wear, you know, like really old man wear with acrylic. And then they sort of relaunched with that number, 1781, 1751. And some of the stuff was all right, you know, and it was, it, it was nice enough and it was, um, Fairly well made. Most of it, not all of it, most of it was still made in the UK. Um, and then it started appearing in TK Maxx. And then it sort of disappeared from TK Maxx and ended up in Matalan. Um, and now it's just a kind what of sub. And Matalan is, John, what's Matalan? It's like a shop. <laughs> it's, it's like a big discount-y Primark type. It's a membership only sort of yeah um yeah there's a card thing you have card, to. you've got to be a member it's it's but it's a step below tk maxx yeah pretty much yeah ah, it's not the same idea as tk maxx but it's it's more like primark but if i could say maybe a slightly more upmarket primark i've never been in one so i don't <laughs> references know. are really bad here. right but <laughs> they then were selling Wolsey through there and this all happened in the course of like three years so it went from like rubbish to like oh it's getting better and you know there's the brand name behind it etc etc to like back to just nothingness again and, and it was just a really and you kind of wonder who's owned them through that time they've obviously been bought and sold a few times within that and that's an example in the uk that i can think of sort of fairly recently they relaunched they they did a lot of stuff because they they supplied lots of the arctic explorer clothing didn't they and lots of stuff yes that that's out. right yeah 
they when they relaunched, they relaunched with that as sort of a big, big thing, and then they disappeared again for a year or so and yeah. became increasingly worse. Yeah, that's right. And and I think a lot of the magazines and stuff featured them at the time, and um, it was just a weird kind of journey that it seemed to take within just a, a few years. But uh, I'm sure there's lots of examples that uh, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. So yeah. I wanted to sort of loop back to something you were talking about right at the start, John. You were talking about leather goods. Now, leather goods isn't something I often think about because it's so rare to see anything that is actually notably different. Well, that's, and it's one of those things that everybody uses. Is you know, you you have a wallet. Most people have a belt, a watch strap, that sort of stuff. And it's kind of like, well, if I'm doing justice to everything else, why would I not have? a more interesting wallet belt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've got three belts. That, um, I've got two belts and one on the way, both made by art, artisans, crafts, people, not a traditional off-the-shelf belt, because almost then, why, why would you not ha- have something different? You know, you wear a belt every day. I wear a belt every day to hold my jeans up. Why would I not have something that's more interesting and better made or the best made possible that I could get hold of? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and it was this. It was the same. So yeah, and it's that, that that it's one of those things that you use all the time. So it it should have a quality that will go with that. You know, I I went through cheap wallets for years, and every year or two you'd break the wallet, it'd split at the seams, or you'd wobble it open, or the leather would go, or the zip would go, and mm. that's what started me thinking. So a few years ago, I bought a Tanner's Good wallet, which has been amazing. It's years old it started off in that sort of very pink natural leather color it's now a beautiful chestnut brown it's aged perfectly with it the same with my um belt so i've had a belt made the garrison belt from heb tro heb tro so the um honest thomas belt. Co. so yeah, those guys i can't even say them um again great belt it's done a real it's, it, it, it does what it says it, it's a solid thing that's not going to break it's going to keep going forever uh, and just got interested in the tanning process and where you get leather from and lots of leather isn't necessarily ethically sourced very well um i've had leather i've had a leather jacket or have had leather jacket made by aero leathers the quality is amazing they're going to use great leather they're great craftsmen they last forever it's timeless and so i got thinking about having a new belt i wanted a new belt that was a different color to the black belt that i wear every day so i wanted a brown belt or in which case what i've gone for is a natural colored belt so just kind of searching the internet for craft-built belts or well-built belts. I came across a company called um, Hawkmoth Leather, a guy called Tom, who actually lives about five miles down the road from me in the countryside. Bespoke makes belts. He actually makes them Friesman Leather now as well. Um, got talking to him, saw the website, saw what he does, really bought into the fact that he is a craftsman building each belt individually by hand out of the best materials, he takes a long time to do it. He makes them incredibly well. You can watch videos of him online, have a read about him. Um, so, yeah, I ordered a belt a few months ago. He'd been out of production for a while because it's a time-consuming thing and he'd taken some time off. Um, so I ordered a belt two or three months ago. And he has been in the process of building me the propeller belt, which is one of his specialist belts. It's just a bit different. It's a beautifully made hard-wearing belt but it fixes slightly differently so it fixes a bit like one of the old you know we're old enough to remember cubs and scouts those old belts that fix together 
with sort of a weird little oh yeah yeah thing. Uh, so it has a fixing like that it's just made properly and you can see the craft in it all the way through it's almost the ultimate slow wear it's gonna last it's gonna outlive me it's gonna be the last belt yeah I have to buy. yeah and, and how um, did he make the um the buckle then did he make the buckle himself as well no, then, he's got to cast them for him so he's got to cast right. in the same yeah. way Tro used um, honest thomas to cast the belt mm-hmm. so he's had these belt buckles cast and the ironwork and this well, the brass work cast for him and you know you can see videos of him hand sewing them all hand tanning them all coloring staining embossing stitching and it's just something i could really buy into this this guy sat making something the, the i guess the perfect item it's a you know usable item and as i said it's gonna it's gonna outlive me yeah and i have great fun with this natural leather because it's going to come in the pink natural leather that it comes in it's virtually yeah. undyed and over years of wear i'm going to see every bit of wear in it i'm going to see how it's bent how it's shaped you know it's made to my perfect waist size as well mm-hmm. it always is a good one so you actually know exactly where your belt size is and yeah, it's, it's just something I really bought into the idea of, and I've got quite excited about it. And I've been talking to him online, backwards and forwards, with updates of what he's making and how it's going. Mm. Just, yeah, fascinating me that you can get something made perfectly, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And as you say, a belt is something that you would wear pretty much every day, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, know. you don't get a lot of thought to either, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. Of, you buy a belt yeah. that's a good belt and it holds your trousers up. Yeah. But why not? go that extra mile and get a really good belt that will last yeah. forever and will mm. be different to other belts on. It's slightly different. So, uh, yeah. Ooh, excellent. Sounds like the perfect gift for a young man coming of age. Well, that's it. Yeah. I, 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 did, I did almost joke about it being an heirloom for my son when he hits 21 because mm. it will be broken in by then. Mm. Uh, I was a bit worried you were going to say you'd be gone by then, but uh, I hope not. <laughs> Hard living. <laughs> I love the notion of something, you, you can see it being built. And I think uh, we, all three of us like the notion of knowing where something comes from, yeah. the whole process through, and knowing that someone's put love, intention, mm-hmm. design, intent into it, and it's going to mm-hmm. have a purpose and will, yeah, will grow with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a lesser way, the Tanner Goods wallet has, you know, it's served me for years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's become the perfect tool for me to have all the bits and pieces in it's you know and and i think leather because leather's visible ages you can see the use of it which is lovely it's a really nice leather leather jacket takes years to break a leather jacket in but once it's in it fits you perfectly it's that that's a a weird thing about these mr freedom campus jackets i see people buying because they're pink as a newborn baby when they're sold and then people immediately start this process of treating them with oils and hanging them out in the sun and so forth i don't know if i, I don't know if anyone actually wears them until they look good but they seem to spend months just mm. doing this homework mm-hmm. I don't think that's, that's, that's the always the joy of it because once you've you know my aero leathers jacket once you've worn them for a bit it takes your shape you sweated in it it's got hot it's got cold it's got wet mm-hmm. you've moved around in it and it starts to crease to you and the same with the belt you know you've got your Everybody sees the, you know, you've got your holes where the prongs go through. Mm-hmm. You know exactly where your belt goes because that's where you've stretched it. And yeah, yeah, you, you know what hole you've got. Yeah. And I found, um, you know, the, getting the pink leather and aging it and watching it develop, I, I've I found really fascinating with the wallet. And this belt is just taking it to that next, that next kind of logical step. But yeah, it, 
it's amazing you know i you know back in my wallet is completely shaped to my credit cards and you know the, the coins i have my key ring that clips on it fits my keys there's a mark in my jeans now in the in the um, indigo the jeans where it fits or just it's just for you it's your thing it's like yeah tells a tale tells a tale now a second point i wanted to loop back to john um you mentioned at the start john skelton uh, menswear yeah which was kind of a weird rabbit hole you well you took my hand dragged and, <laughs> and dragged me down it as well because that was a quite a weird experience yeah no it's it's not for the faint-hearted i think it's probably the best way to describe the whole thing john skelton is an amazing artist and a really interesting guy his brother is also an artist and a really interesting guy i came across him totally accidentally with the Paul Harden thing. And there, there, there's a cult of Paul Harden and you know people wear his clothes. And he had a lot of processes where he'd take very expensive worsted cloths made by Fox Brothers and bury them in the ground to age them and, and then tailored them in more interesting ways. So a more probably Edwardian cut, I'd say. Does that make sense? And... Loads of money for loads, loads, loads of money for looking like a you know a tramp that lives in a stately home, which is, which is a look I kind of aspire to. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. And there is there are, there are a couple of culty brands around like that. And looking at his clothes, I got really fascinated by lots of the shapes and the cuts. And happened against uh, John Skelton. Uh, and again, he has a I guess almost a similar aesthetic, but to that probably pre-Victorian almost cut to some of it and just used amazing fabrics and interesting cuts and it's very, very limited uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't know quite how to describe it. How would you describe it, Nick, as, as an aesthetic? it's well, More arty, really, because he does a lots of uh, very limited edition prints, which obviously hand-printed in extremely small numbers. But very much within the sort of art scope. Yeah, so it's, is it clothes or is it art? I think it is that, it's, it's almost bridging that gap. Is it, It's an artifact then, isn't it? So it, it's a piece of art that you're using. Does that make sense? So yeah, and his clothes are cut very, very well and made in very low limited numbers and are made from really interesting fabrics. And I think you and I have got almost the same suit, just mine's been over-dyed red. Yeah, so we got the herd. It was interesting though because when you mentioned it, and then you sort of went on this uh, cross-continental journey <laughs> where to find. Well, it. yeah, no, I, 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 I saw a photograph online and found nowhere that you could possibly buy it. It just didn't exist. It's, it's, it's only only sold by tiny little boutiques. Uh, I think there were about ten worldwide who just stock a small little bit of his tiny collection. Never heard of, and would never have stumbled across. And you know the rabbit hole. I, you know, we've all talked about how we like searching out that weird and wonderful. So I, I found it in Russia, of all places. So uh, an English suit by an English designer, made in England, out of English fabrics, dyed in this country, had made it to a small boutique in Russia where I understand it hadn't been that popular. So it was um, in their sale via um, the uh, Grailed website. So, um, yeah, after yeah. negotiating... I, I think it was sort of a retailed by a sort of outlet uh, so that they don't send stuff to final sales. They'll just send it to this outlet shop that will just 
plug it. Yeah, and uh, amazingly, I, after chatting to this chap in Russia, I, I got what I was happy to pay for it and got this suit, which I have worn actually quite a bit. Although it is very odd and it is not something... And I wore it for Halloween, actually, so that's, that, that probably suggests how odd it is. It's basically a double-breasted uh, tweed suit with extremely wide trousers. Yeah, no, they are, they are the, they're Oxford bags, pretty much. They're, they're gigantic and high-waisted, which I quite like. I like Oxford bags and I like high-waisted trousers, so I can wear braces. And, and then a double-breasted, almost peacoat, I guess, is the, the yeah. but slightly unstructured, yet tailored, so it is unstructured. Um, it's, 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 as you said, a kind of piece of artwork, but it is something that's hard to wear, maybe. But um, equally, it fits me very, very well. It is really, really comfortable. So I, wearing the jacket and trousers separately, although wearing bright red trousers this time of year is a bit Father Christmas, um, it, it, it's, it's lovely. And it, it, it's obviously been made by someone who knows what they're doing at a fairly high level, out of great fabrics and great choices. And it is that, it, you know, it's a photographer's dream. But so it's a, it is a work of art. You know, you get the right person in the right circumstance wearing it. If you look at his Instagram sites or any of his artworks and installations, they look fab. Um, really fascinated me there was the labels because the labels are handwritten. And it also says which number of an extremely total, small total number has been made. And it got me thinking that they're making so few of these. There's so few places to get them. And they were, well, compared to things you might compare them with, they were incredibly expensive. And I was thinking, what sort of shops, what sort of people is it who buys this stuff? Because it's obviously very specialist and it's not really for us because this was just us lucking out and finding it cheap yeah, yeah. and having an interest. We wouldn't be the typical customer for this. And I don't know what the typical customer is. There must be some crazed art executives working in companies that knock about looking like artwork all the time it's a very similar to the paul harden crowd because there is there is a cult of people that follow it and buy it and seem to buy it all and they look stunning there's, there's a big um group of people in seemingly berlin that all knock around in the latest paul harden john skelton stuff and they all look fabulous doing it but um it's it's an interesting art crowd and and whether it's almost you know I, I, can, I almost got the feel it was made for mates, made for people like me, other artists that are into this aesthetic. And I've made it. Googling Harden, I see a lot of very, very young people wearing it. And I'm thinking, how on earth can you afford to wear a £10,000 Paul Harden suit? No, it's, it's incredible. And, and yeah, there are obviously people who've got some money out there. I'm not one of them. They also have to have so much money that they're not realising that that suit isn't worth £10,000. <laughs> and they are, they're, they're really, in, they are interesting bits of clothing. They're really, really interesting. I've got a couple of bits of Paul Harden that I've picked up here and there. Trying to get stuff that fits me is near impossible because they're obviously made for a, a much skinnier frame than mine. The trousers, however, fit me perfectly and are amazing. So I don't know what these people look like in real life that wear it because the trousers all fit and the jackets are tiny. Plus, there's no logos. Uh, I get the impression that young people are willing to pay a lot more money if there's a big logo on the back or that it's obvious that they have spent a lot of money on it. Yeah, and I, I, I think possibly because it's cut so differently, you can tell that it's a Paul Harden or a John Skelton or from a distance. 
or possibly, you know, some of it looks very much like um, sort of late 90s, early 2000s, Comme de Garçons and stuff like that. So there is an aesthetic there that people have obviously bought into in a big way. Or just that you nicked it off someone who'd been sleeping in it for 15 years. Or, or there is the fact that you've just, you know, stolen off a truck in Berlin. And <laughs> it's, it's yours now. So you swapped it, it for your modern puffer jacket and, and tracky bottoms, and he's very happy because he's warm, and you look like yeah. a tramp, and you're very happy. So everybody, everybody, went, everybody wins. But yeah, and it, was, it was a rabbit, and, it's, and you know, it's I love the Paul Harden stuff and John Skelton stuff I've got. It's not for everybody, and it's not for every day. But yeah, I feel special. It does feel, and it does feel special. It's, and like I said, it's all bonk, it, it bonkers. It's probably the best way I can describe it. If, if you know, I was some opium-addicted lord living in a huge stately home, smelling of wee and with loads of dogs around me. That would be the perfect outfit, pretty much, I think. It's just... The thing is, though, that really you're then cosplaying being that guy yeah. by buying it. Yeah, no, I Because he, he'd, he'd never no, bought that. No, no, it's almost, it is almost... It is, yeah, so is it costume more than fashion? It possibly is. And as I said, I'm wearing it for Christmas parties and Halloween and for events. So I guess it is almost a costume rather than... Day, it's not something I'd knock about the shops in, but it is bringing the fun back in clothes, and it is fun, and they're they're definitely fun and interesting, and they have been designed by someone with an artistic, creative idea as opposed to some marketing machine trying to flog you the latest, whatever. But yeah, uh, it's an, it's an interesting bit of clothing. Are you on board with uh, having more fun with clothes, Sean? Yeah, I quite often have fun with clothing, <laughs> and without. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think even it, it doesn't take much to be doing something that little bit different with clothing, does it? So whether it's just a, a, an addition of colour or um, the way you wear your your, your jeans length or, um, you know, it, we, we can all play with it to a certain extent. So you can, you know... You can wear uh, a bit of fair isle, even though you're not in the 1940s. So you are, in a way, adding something extra to what you're wearing, aren't you? So you're 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 putting something of your own spin into it. You're sort of saying something about yourself by just changing little things like that, uh, or wearing a different lapel badge, or um, you know, a, a, an older jacket or an older coat um, that, of a style or cut that isn't, you know available and you can do that on very little budget you know you could buy that there isn't you know talking about overcoats there isn't really a market out there for secondhand overcoats that are yes there are if you go high end and and blah 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 but on the whole you could buy an overcoat that um, to replace new um, that would cost you, you know, maybe six, seven hundred, eight hundred pounds. You could buy for forty, fifty pounds in in good condition secondhand. You know, so even wearing something like that, you're making a you are making a statement about what you're what you're wearing, aren't you? You're not you're saying I'm not buying something from the high street. I'm buying something that was infinitely more stylish and uh, retrospectively, you know. You can also get massive, massive shoulders. Yes, which allows you to allows you to wear a jacket underneath. You know, but the clothing should be fun, though, shouldn't it? It should be an expression of your. If you know, we don't. Yeah. Very few of us wear clothes for purely the practicals of wearing the clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, but you know, you, you wear them to 
convey an image or portray something or to have fun. You know, it, yeah. it should be. This should be more than that. It shouldn't just you know. If not everybody, we're wearing you know a uniform and purely utilitarian, practical clothes, and no, mm-hmm. nobody does. No, no. As much of the time, you're just sort of signalling how cool and interesting you are. Yeah, need to do it with clothing. I'm I'm pretty dull without. Now, past years now, there's been a lot of talk about sustainability. Shall we go there? Well, depends what you want to talk about. You know, we could be here for hours. Are, are you fed up with the sustainability fashion yet? Has it become a fashion? Uh, There's a lot of talk about slow uh, fashion now. If it's if it's if it's properly, as I mentioned very much earlier, and you know, my current company have used your podcast in uh, our sustainability because we they've got a good sustainability culture, and people need to be aware of what actual sustainability means because there is so much greenwashing and talking about what's sustainable or probably isn't. I think, you know, the three of us are probably fairly wise to it. I think probably people listening to your podcast are probably pretty wise to the idea of being sustainable. It's just convincing everybody else because people don't get it. And the amount of conversations I have about, you know, you're going to have to spend 50 quid on a pair of jeans instead of five. You can't get them from supermarket because they're not going to be sustainable. I'm so used to buying them for five quid, I'm not going to change that. You know, and, and then come... You know, every high street brand I see now has a sustainability collection or sustainability credibility. And it's like, it's made from sustainable polycotton. Surely that's not sustainable purely by the fact it's polycotton. Um, so I, I don't know if we've done it to death. And, I, you know, I, I'm ready to murder people when they talk to me about it now. <laughs> well, it has sort of gone from being um, something that one could be keenly interested in and should still be interested in to something that has become so watered down and meaningless and bandied around and filled with new meaning. Uh, I used to think of my apple tree in the garden as sustainable. It would just keep going. It's, it's going to be there for the kids. Um, but when you read the Wikipedia page now for sustainability, they've brought in so many new factors that you can't read it and extract any true meaning from it. Yeah. so the only real takeaway is that to be more sustainable you should buy less and what you have you should use up but the message is getting a bit sort of on the one hand over told and on the other so appropriated and twisted by the offenders but it's become fashionable it's become a fashionable thing therefore the message will get twisted so whatever a company's doing or whatever a business is doing or not doing is more the point um they will put a message out and they will twist it around the way they want it to, to, to perceive that they can be seen to be joining in so whether that's washing powder whether it's socks whether it's cars whether it's shoes whether it's wallpaper they will they will employ people to come up with a message that will suit their business and what they're doing without having to change what they're doing or their business too much. And people will buy into that message um, and think, that's okay, I can buy from there because they're doing the bit. And people are quite happy with that. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the way I see it at the moment. There are clearly businesses that are doing huge amounts. Um, there's some that are doing less. There's some that talk about it more, some that talk about it less. Um, we as consumers will do what we feel is right at the moment. So you'll either 
again, do more, do less, do very little, not care. You'll see, some people then will see it as woke, um, as being then it's then it's a left wing thing to do. Um, therefore, you if if it's seen as that, you will get people doing the opposite. You'll get people saying, "I'm not going to do it because it's a left wing thing to do, um, or because it's seen as being woke." You know, so it's 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 still quite new. It's still quite new language that we're using, and uh, I know some businesses have been doing stuff for years. They don't really shout about it, you know. Um, probably, and some that have been doing f all, who do shout about it a lot. But at least the fact, we, the fact, the fact that we're even talking about it means it is an agenda and it is there. And the fact we're talking about it and doing something about it is better than not doing anything and it continuing the way it did mm. previously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's a simple solution. I don't think people, you know stepwise change you know if we're talking about it and doing something and even if we're only paying lip surface to it it's better than nothing happening at all yeah and eventually maybe we'll get to a stage where things truly are sustainable and eco-friendly and you know mm-hmm. we'll think about things differently mm-hmm. i think one of the saddest questions i hear now is what can i buy to become more sustainable <laughs> mm. yeah yeah uh. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's it's you know the simplest thing is, isn't it? Just buy less, you know, just buy less. But then there's there's things that you want. So how do you balance that as a wants and needs, isn't it? It's just basic economics. It boils down to. But. I mean, there's a lot of talk of circular economy, but think about sort of say circular menswear, where there's something you want which is a natural desire because we see nice things all the time, but say, okay, I want to buy that, but then I'll sell some other stuff yeah. to someone else who wants that. So ownership circles around. That's kind of the way I've been playing it for the, at least the mm. last decade, if not longer, that it's not quite one in one out, but I buy a lot of stuff. I sell a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, there are bits that I will never sell that I keep and I keep forever. There are bits I buy and wear for a bit and move on. There are bits I buy deliberately to move on because I know that profit in it. But I think the nature of that is more sustainable than just buying stuff in it. You know, mm-hmm. there's obviously there's a lowest common denominator in it. There's like the, you know, the fast fashion stuff that is absolutely t- you can't resell or do anything with. It's used once, twice, and then it's billable. Yeah. yeah, that's that by any means is wrong. But I, I can maybe it's my me justifying my own avarice myself. In fact, if I buy something. If I don't like it, I'll move it on to somebody else. It's not going to go elsewhere. And if I can't sell it, I'll go to charity. And now someone will use it. And stuff I buy has a premium to it, whether that's the fact it's been made well or it's expensive or it's a nice label or, you know, hopefully all of those things, that someone else wants it. So, yeah. There's obviously stuff that people buy that nobody else wants. That that's so it's, it's so bad if only you want it for those five minutes because somebody in some marketing company has told you you want it. Yeah, no, no, and uh, I suppose my way has always been: if I buy something that somebody else has already bought, I'm sort of taking myself slightly out of that loop as well of that constant consumption, you know. Um, so I'll buy socks and underwear and t-shirts. Well, some t-shirts is new, um, but everything else I'll buy secondhand, you know. And that's I suppose I probably buy, still buy more clothes than a lot of people, but. I'm not going into a shop and buying them, 
you know. Um, and I suppose that's my way of doing my bit. I didn't start it as as me doing my bit. I started it as, oh, I can get a bargain here, you know. Uh, I can get something that I want and I can get it for, uh, you know, 20% of the price or 10% of the price. So that was how it started for me. But uh, as time's going on, I understand that um, it's a good way to sort of take yourself out of the loop of constant consumption, um, you know, um, because I know in other areas of life, um, I may consume perhaps more, I don't know. I don't. I don't really fly anywhere. I haven't flown anywhere for years. Um, I don't do a lot of driving, although my car's not particularly green. It's it's a diesel, you know. Um, so I suppose it's it swings and roundabouts, um, isn't it? You you sort of you might be doing something right in one area, but you're not doing it right in another. So you've got a kind of like. Mm. Look at the bigger picture. I think there were also things. If you buy something new, you, you probably very similar. I buy the best I can, but it's usually because it's ethically sourced and it's slow, low, low yeah. production and it's high value. So I bought new jeans this year. The things, the yeah. things I've bought that are new this year, yeah, haven't had a huge environmental impact and then can be used by somebody else at some point. Well, that was the point I was going to make to you, John. So then. It'll very, very unlikely that item will end up in landfill and into waste because because of the the, the value initially. Um, then somebody will be getting value out of that right down the line. So when you then pass it on, somebody else will treasure that and keep it. You know. Um. So yeah. So there's something to be said that if if you go in at the high end, it'll it'll stay into in 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 the system longer. Yeah. Um, it'll be owned by somebody longer and stay in the system longer. Um, do you know what I mean? I think I think the trick is that it stays out of the charity shop and doesn't get sent to sort of fibre reclamation. Yeah. Because yeah. as long as it's still being for sale and being used yeah. until it's in tatters, yeah. then it has served its purpose. And it's stuff I own that is in tatters and I've had fixed and I've fixed and the things I love that, you know, I've got jumpers that are absolutely bloody ancient. But fortunately, my grandmother's a great knitter and is fixed. I can darn things. I've got, you know, jackets behind me that are 50 years old. I've got suits that are nearly 100 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm still wearing. Mm -hmm. You know, my my very favourite tweed suit was made in 1918. Wow. It is threadbare in lots of areas, and I still wear it. I wear it until it literally falls off me. Yeah. A beautiful three-piece tweed suit, uh-huh. and now it's probably one of the original suits that was cut as a proper suit, as opposed yeah. to being anything else. But yeah, sure, it's so minging now. To be fair, and I wear yeah. probably a little more, more than I should admit. And yeah. it's the waistcoat split a couple of times and has new backs on it, and I put patches yeah. on elbow, and it's got, and it you know, I, it's not going to last many more years. But I love it, and it fits me really well, and it's been going. But then that's, you know, over a hundred years. You can't, you know, you, you can't say anything about that. I mean, that's you know, it's 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 been through ownership. It's 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 served its purpose many, many, many times. You know, and it's done. At least had one, if not two, owners before me. Yeah, yeah. But that's what you were, you were saying earlier on about, you know. Uh, watching uh, all creatures getting small and people like wearing more outfits than 
you know, it, it's, it's an absolutely valid point that people would buy a tweed jacket and that tweed jacket had to do them um, because of the, the, the cost involved initially and because you, you bought it for a purpose. You bought it to wear, to keep you warm, to be able to work in, to be, you know, and, and it, it's, it's not there to be like, um, oh, I'll go and buy another one in another color next season. It's, that's your jacket. That's your, that is you. And people will know you by that constantly wearing that same that same and that jacket. Probably, and that probably didn't, didn't really change until the late 60s counterculture, youth culture, people mm. off did things differently, so everybody wanted to look different. And then yeah. that explosion in fashion and, and, and yeah. style happened then. But yeah. up until then, yeah, you, you, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd have one decent outfit to wear to church on Sunday and the rest of the stuff you wore until it yeah. fell apart. It's the same with the whole, the, the whole name of calling things designer so it's as almost as if there's there's standard clothing and there's designer clothing even though the designer label means really nothing it just means it's 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 a name that maybe people will recognize you know and and has been diluted and diluted and diluted like say say i don't know armani you know what what is armani these days it could be anything it could be a a cheap t-shirt to a, a a sort of designer suit but it's been so watered down that the name designer it just it just doesn't mean anything that's anymore. when it just becomes a brand as opposed to a designer it's not designed yeah. by that that designer hasn't made it it's not yeah like, yeah armani he did not design it he did not cleverly think it he sold that yeah. name it's, it's how you know the perfume and fragrance industry exists uh-huh. to buy into a brand into a designer the cheapest way to di- buy that is to buy a t-shirt or a t-shirt or a fragrance very often it's how fragrance yeah. why fragrance exists it's brands but to say that was interesting that when when I bought that that coat this week that Montclair coat where if you look at what they sell for on second hand you know they're still going for six seven eight hundred pounds second hand coats that were maybe over a thousand new um, at the very cheapest I would say two to three hundred I paid twenty three pounds for that coat you know and it's 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 genuine. It's an excellent condition. It's of a style that I thought was quite nice that I would have worn anyway, but it hasn't got any external branding on it. So people don't know it's a Montclair coat, apart from a tiny little thing. So nobody was bidding on it, you know. It's, it's, it's weird. You know, weird. I'd suggest a take on that. Um, Cristiano Berto, the designer of uh, First Pattern in Italy, mm. was on the pod two, two episodes ago. Uh, and he was talking about how you have some people who design stuff who actually have some creativity and an idea, a concept, mm-hmm. who come up with something. And then you have the guys who are basically just copy-pasting what the competition is doing right. and what they think will continue to sell for another season or two. Right, okay. Yep. So I'd imagine that something that is a designer item actually has a designer. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you're really the copy-paste guy is also a designer of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's like architect-designed houses. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's designing the ones who aren't architect-designed? Yeah. Yeah, every, every yeah. bit of clothing is a designer piece of clothing because yeah, exactly. in, in a way, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Somebody's had to design it. It's not doesn't design itself, you know. But the the name designer is just gets attached to anything, you know, absolutely anything now. It's just irrelevant. It is just a signifier of a higher value item, but I mean, you do have plenty of people who are just copying literally. Mm-hmm. Oh, bands! There are people who make a fortune doing it. 
I have mentioned before there was a British uh, high-end menswear brand who were having a chore coat made in a British factory, uh, and their design brief was basically take this French one and make it in yellow. And the, and the labels were the labels were still in the French one. Yeah, so it was clear yeah. who'd made it. There are there are you know many designers around the world that take inspiration in inverted commas from older pieces and then remake them. You know. Yeah. The, you mean designers with massive, massive collections of vintage who basically seem to spend their days finding more vintage. And, and, and then picking those vintage items apart and then stitch, almost yeah. putting them back together mm. in a slightly more modern fit. And, and there are scores and scores of them. Ralph Lauren is a huge mm. collector of vintage items. And you mm. look at RRL, it's all stuff he's collected, got the patterns from, and is either having made in a factory in the States mm. or China or wherever. And it, it, there's, there's no... They are beautiful pieces. They are well made, very often. But you know whether they've been designed in any particular clever way. It's yeah, you've literally robbed the grave of some designer. Yeah, absolutely. But when when does uh, a garment design sort of expire, trademark legally? Well, the, the, I mean, when is it okay to copy something? Is well, it trademark? I kind of have no idea. Look at the denim jackets, like the the the, the original denim jacket, the boxy jacket. Everybody yeah. has a denim jacket, and you know they range in price from. They're all the same pattern, more or less. Yeah, it's the Levi's model two and three. Yeah, and the chore, chore jacket's exactly the same. It's just you know a few bits of cotton put together in, in a very basic boxy style. Nice, a great thing to wear, and uh, you know really sort of practical. But should you be paying x amount of money for it? If the pocket is thoughtfully placed, yeah, well, and it has a slight slant. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've pondered the pocket placement. So they've sat with it on the, on the cutting table going, mm, yes, mm, no, mm, what do you think? Let's go for lunch. Let's come back. You know? <laughs> so I think, yeah. I think, I think a lot of it is like that. But I think the one thing we haven't mentioned is, of course, the fabrics. Yeah. That is really the, the change, the difference yeah. among things. Yeah, I mean, there's been those, like, I think we, we discussed it last week, the, the sort of reports where they're, they're chucking out more wool now than they're using because there's no there's no demand for it. And I just find that incredible that, you know, the, the, there's there's that natural fibre, that natural material that's the best for keeping you warm, it's the best for keeping you waterproof. You know, it's it it's, should be cheaper, but therefore being a natural fibre, um, and all right, it needs some processing, but it's not being used because we're using um, man-made fibres. I, I was talking to um, somebody a month or so ago that I had wanted to get my eldest 16-year-old a suit um, for because he'll be coming out of school soon and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I thought, forget him one now. And I was looking on a well-known high street retailer, right? And do you know, out of all the suits they did, right? So grown-up suits, men's suits, I would I calculated less than 5% were wool. You had probably about another 30% were a wool mix, and the rest were a polyester viscosi mix. Yeah. Could you, and that's changed dramatically. You know, and again, even on the high street, most suits were wool. You know, if you go back 20 years, most suits, cheap suits, I'm not talking expensive suits, I'm talking 100 pound, 120, 155, they were still wool, you know, and now they're not. Well, wool is under fire 
basically from polyester and now recycled polyester, which is being sold in as a sort of saviour of fibres. Yeah. But but also merino wool from uh, the southern hemisphere mm-hmm. because it's so comfy. Mm-hmm. So the sort of coarse wool, which we like in tweed and so forth, is being used for carpets mm-hmm. or being thrown away. And it's sad. Mm-hmm. But the same thing is happening with leather, uh, with the popularity of vegan leather, mm. is now meaning more hides are being thrown away as well because the demand for proper leather has gone down. Mm-hmm. And what is vegan leather? Is it just plastic? Yeah. It's, it's either polyurethane or it's uh, some sort of man-made substance. Or no. increasingly now, but still pretty small, I think is this sort of vat-grown, uh, fungus, mushroomy type stuff, mm. which they think is going to be really the big, big next thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots of microbial technology and in, 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 in fungal root systems and stuff and using that as fibres. Okay. It right. goes forever, and you can grow it really quickly and cheaply. But mm-hmm. I understand you can't process it very well at the moment. But mushrooms mm-hmm. make forge for everything; they're amazing. Is that going to be more environmentally friendly than the hides you're going to be throwing away? Not if you're throwing them away, no. Yeah. But I think the, th- the thought is that everybody's going to be vegan and vegetarian anyway, because you won't be producing cattle. So if you're not mm-hmm. producing, there'll be no hides. So then you might as well use mycelium right. okay. to make all of your fiber. Uh. Mm. That's a, that's another conversation. Not in our lifetime. It? Not in our lifetime. We'll be Not right. in our lifetime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but when you see, a, say, a pair of Doc Martens in vegan leather, it's basically polyurethane. Right, okay. Yeah. So, the, 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 they're not going to last as long, are they? Well, we know we don't, we'll not go down the Doctor Martin route because I think we're, the Doc Martin's uh, is a like, brand to concentrate on. Them, can, but, the, the Doc the Doc Martin uh, conundrum uh, that that seems to come up every time. But um, yeah, I mean they're not going to last as long as a leather pair of shoes, are they? Realistically, well, I mean, once they start cracking, they're buggered. Yeah. Mm. And you're not going to be able to uh, maintain them. Can you repair and nourish and restitch and things like you can leather? Maybe super glue? Yeah, you could sort of melt it, heat it up, and then stick it back together. Just to melt it all in place again, it's going to be pretty grim. Mm. Now, I see we're touching two hours, which is pretty good going. Any any final thoughts, uh, John, Sean? Uh, Not really, no. Just um, hope you all have a good Christmas and... um, that uh, we we can get through this uh, current crisis all in one piece and um, see where it takes us. You know, we should have a chat uh, in the new year about loungewear because I think we're probably going to spend the next month or so indoors. Uh, so we can we can compare notes on loungewear. Well, I've uh, I've got two excellent pairs of pajamas over the lockdown period. Right. So, okay. Well, we could discuss Actually, that. Actually, one from Scotland, from the wonderful uh, Irregular Sleep Patterns. Have a look. They've got some bonkers patterns. All right. Okay, have a look at that. Where's the factory, John? Uh, they're made in Portugal. All right, okay. Right. Of course. But designed in Glasgow, I believe. They're designed in Glasgow. Okay, good. Glasgow artists, nice big Bauhaus prints. They're really very cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, just Sorry, I... It's just the no, thought of I just like the idea of wearing pajamas and not doing very much. I have suggested wearing my gym gym jams out as a work for a suit. Yeah. Probably just <laughs> with it. But. What is that art fashion juxtaposition yeah. thing? Yeah. Isn't it? Is it art? <laughs> if you view it as art, it's art. It is art. Yeah. 
They're cliche. Mm, mm. And yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go. So I'm going to wish you all okay. a very right. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and yeah. um, hopefully catch you all soon. But I will get and, murdered by my wife and children if I don't feed them. So. And to you and the family. Right. Likewise. And thank you very much for joining. I very much enjoyed it. Thanks, Thanks guys. And bye for now. Bye for now. Bye bye. bye. And that was all for this week. Thank you for listening. And uh, thanks to Sean and John for being my guests. Very much appreciated it. You can find Sean on Instagram as These Rough Notes and John as Heavy John. You can find me on Instagram as WellDressedDad. The blog is at WellDressedDad.com. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, let me know what you think of my work, you can drop me an email at WellDressedDad at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, which would be very much appreciated, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Just search for Gomology there or follow the link in the show notes. I'm going to be taking a two or three week break now to uh, recuperate and record some more episodes. So uh, until we meet again, stay safe and uh, have a happy new year. Bye bye.